All right, everyone ready? Let's get it. Man, the potential MVPs faced off last night. Anthony Davis had some choice words for the Suns, and Pat Bev speaks on Russell Westbrook. I'm Rosa Panta. This is the Clinic All-NBA Podcast. I have the three hooligans with me. JJ, how you living, my friend? Portland shout out, Sheed or B-Roy? Ooh, man. John, how you living? Well, I like that one. I'm doing great. I'm going to go with Garen Sheed Wallace. Sammy, how you living, my friend? I'm not complaining, my friend. And for pure entertainment value, you got to go Sheed on and off the court. <laughs> JJ, who you going with, man? Oh, man. I got to go with Sheed. I've always loved Sheed. I know, man. You know, I have I have a lot of love for Brandon Roy just because uh, he did bring some glory days, if you could call it that, to the Portland fans. But I got to go Sheed, too. I definitely have to go Sheed. Anyway, we have some quick hit news for you guys, and here we go. KD Durantula dropping 53 at the Garden. The Nets have now won three in a row, and KD made a tie-breaking three with under a minute remaining. Man, he's got to give it to him. He is clutch, and he is a legit scorer. But that wasn't the biggest deal of the night. Kyrie Irving watched the game from the purchase courtside seats, and Durant spent a good chunk of the postgame calling on New York City Mayor Adams to change the mandate, calling it ridiculous that unvaccinated people could be in the arena but not playing it. Drama, drama, drama. We'll see how that plays out. In Boston on Sunday night, Kevin Garnett's number five was lifted to the rafters for his time with the Celtics and just as big. He and Ray Allen apparently reconciled over the All-Star break. Ray Allen was in attendance and KG shouted him out. Allen embraced Garnett during the middle of the ceremony and Paul Pierce came and gave a bear hug from behind to the, uh, let's say, thunderous applause of the Celtics fans as well as John. Everyone very much loved it and it looks like those guys are finally, have finally buried the hatchet. Garnett saying it's good to see Ray Allen here, real S. It's good to see you, man. You next, dog. And good night for Boston. And it looks like uh, going forward, that team looks good from the past as well as the future. And LeBron becomes first in league history to reach the 10,000 plateau in points, rebounds, and assists. He is now third all-time in points. 7th in assists and 39th in rebounds. This week, they're forecasting that LeBron will pass Carmelone, who's often in the afterthoughts of us advocates of the NBA. We'll see if LeBron could take the mantle of Kareem one day. Hopefully, right guys? Right. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And you know, we're going to get to our first bit of news here. We just watched... The Nuggets defeat the 76ers 114-110. to it was, a, it was a battle between the two MVP favorites in Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic. It was like watching Godzilla and Mothra just attack <laughs> each other. And, you know, the question that everyone naturally wants to come to here is who is the MVP of the league? Who's going to be the one standing at the end with the trophy, the MVP trophy? Who do you guys think it is? Man, I think you got to give it to It's a tough one for me actually. I think it's neck and neck and the reason I say that is because both the Nuggets and the Sixers have had to go through some challenges this year, right? 
Obviously, Jamal Murray has been out with a serious injury. You have uh, Michael Porter Jr., who hasn't played, who also got seriously injured. And on the Sixers side, you have the Ben Simmons saga, and then incorporating James Harden in the midseason trade. But Joel Embiid was keeping the Sixers afloat and one of the best teams in the East while and pretty much doing it alone. He had some role players, but he was the only superstar on that team. And I'd, if I had to choose, I think I would give it to Joel Embiid. And I think that's who is going to receive it. And the reason I say that is because of the narrative and the way that MVPs have been handed out in the past. They generally don't like giving back-to-back MVPs. I know it's been done a few times. Steve Nash did it. And I can't remember who the last one was, but probably LeBron. But Giannis. Giannis. Okay. And so they, even though it does happen, I don't think it happens often. So for that, and I don't think Jokic is that type of player who is has so much, I guess I want to say he's not seen in the same light as a LeBron James, even though he's crazy talented. Don't get me wrong. I think he's one of the best players in the NBA. He just doesn't have that limelight or the spotlight like these other players do. And for that reason, I think it's going to go to Joel Embiid. But if I, to be honest, I think they both deserve it. That's why it's so tough for me. I'm going to respectfully disagree with you on this. I actually think the MVP is going to go to Jokic. I, I completely get your argument understand it. But I'm just looking at it and breaking it down. Looking at the starters tonight for the Nuggets, just to put some context behind this. Jeff Green, Aaron Gordon, Barton, Jokic, and Monte Morris. That's been some version of their starting lineup for most of the year. A little Austin Rivers draped in there, some Jermichael Green. A bunch of solid role players. Clearly no one who's a two, or I would probably argue even a number three. True. Realistically. And I know Embiid has dealt with the whole Simmons situation and not having his full complement as well. But going to the narrative aspect that, that you named, I think the thing is voters are gonna see more what's happened recently. And in the last 20 games of the year, he has had a number two. Uh, I also would argue that Tyrese Maxey is better than anyone else on the Nuggets outside of Jokic. Possibly even Tobias Harris, although lately he hasn't been that great himself. But all that being said, the one other thing that may work against Jokic is that they are the sixth seed right now. But if you actually look at the records, the Sixers are 41 and 26, the Nuggets are 41 and 28. They're pretty much almost identical in that way. So I I just think Jokic, with the team around him, because of the injuries that you talked about, John, what he's doing is ridiculous to me. It's absolutely incredible. And you look at the numbers tonight, 22, 13, and 8, and that's at this point considered at best an average night for him with how he's been playing. So I, I like Jokic to take this uh, to take the MVP this year and deservedly so. Although what might work against him is that Denver's not in the spotlight as much. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I'll also say that with the James Harden trade and you guys talked about narratives that Harden kind of devalues Embiid as an MVP candidate because quote unquote now he has more help. Jokic. Even though he doesn't score as much as Embiid, that doesn't play as much, or the defense is better on Embiid, but Jokic is better. Jokic, Jokic averages more rebounds, more assists, more steals, and has a better field goal percentage. Talk to him. So I like Jokic just, be, just because he gets his teammates involved, and he doesn't have the roster that Embiid has. Yeah, I mean, like, when we're talking about Nikola Jokic, like, I get it, but for some reason, I think the narrative around around 
Joel is going to get him there. I mean, he had to literally pick his whole team up together because of this whole, like, Ben Simmons things that was swirling around the 76ers, and that alone can, like, really break down a team. I think, I think Joel's going to get it. I think he's overdue. I don't know if the media is also tired, like, of just seeing how great Nikola Jokic is. Sometimes if you're just good all the time, they don't think it's special anymore. So I guess if I'm a betting man, probably going with Joel Embiid, but I feel like Jokic kind of deserves it more. I don't know. It's a, it's a tough race between the two. I'm going to ask you guys. Do either one of these players lift up the finals MVP? Do you think any of these guys can, can take it all the way, take their team all the way? I'll say no. I don't think neither of them will be that at the end. Yeah, no. Unless injuries play a part. I would agree, but if it's one of the two, just based on the talent of the team, I would think it would be Embiid. I just don't think the Nuggets are going to have the horses this year to make it to the finals. Yeah, I absolutely agree. That's actually something fun to ponder. But anyway, we're going to move on to our next topic here. So the Lakers lost pretty big to the Suns, 140 to 111. But the big news from this game is that Anthony Davis had a few words regarding last year's playoff loss to the Suns. Davis told reporters before the game that the Lakers would have beaten the Suns last year in their postseason had he not been sidelined with a groin injury. What do you guys think of Anthony Davis's comments here? I see two sides to this. On one side, is he right? Possibly. Um, if I remember correctly, he got hurt in, I want to say, Game 3 of that series. And, or Game 2. And at the time, the Lakers had split the first two in Phoenix. And they looked like they had a clear size advantage because Aiden hadn't really broken out just yet. So I get what he's saying, and it's very possible. I don't like the fact he said it because it just looks like sour grapes. The team's having a bad year. He keeps getting hurt. You won your title two years ago anyway. Why bring it up? It just makes you look better, especially in the current environment of where they're at. And the funny thing is when it when it was brought up to Booker, I don't know if you guys saw the press conference, he almost just started laughing and he had the essential the deal with it sunglasses on, like he was literally saying deal with it <laughs> um, about Davis's comments. Yeah. So is he right? Uh, possibly. I think that series would have run close, but I think the Suns would have pulled it out in seven just because they were a little more well-rounded. I just don't like the fact that he said it, it just doesn't seem necessary to me. Yeah, I would have liked it a lot more if the Lakers didn't lose by 29 points. That would have been a lot better for me. But in terms of him saying something like that, I don't have an issue with it. I think that if anything, he maybe he's trying to get grab a mental competitive edge before the game. Obviously, it didn't work. And maybe it's something that could play out if they do meet as an 8 and 1 seed, which is a possibility given how close the Lakers are to being missing the playoffs and barely making the play on. In terms of whether or not he's accurate in saying that, or whether it would be true, as much as I want to say yes, it's hard to say because you have to remember Chris Paul was actually also injured in that series. He did play, but he wasn't 100%. He had that shoulder issue. And so you, there are a lot of hypotheticals you could say. You could say, what if this, what if that? And I don't really like that. And so, to me, it's it's TBD. It's unknown, you know. 
I think everyone thought this when Anthony Davis got injured, which is if he didn't, if he was playing, they would have beat the Suns. I don't think that's a surprise, right? But the fact that he said it, like what John was saying, and they lost, like it was, it's just bad timing, man. Like, what was the purpose of you saying that? Maybe you should say it right before the postseason or when you're playing, but not when you're in the sideline. Your team is struggling, and Lakerland does not look good right now. Just bad timing. That's what I think. Maybe the purpose of Anthony Davis saying this is is really saying that he misses Alex Caruso and Kuzma and KCP. Yeah. Because I, I think when people see this, they get like a knee-jerk reaction and they're like, there's no way, I, I don't think, there's no way, right? The Lakers are going to beat that team. But they're thinking of the Lakers right now. The Lakers, last year, they had a deep squad, super deep squad, very good defense. I want to say they were like top five. Were they top five, John? I think they were top, I think they were top three, but top five sounds more accurate. So top, top three, top five. Top three. So I'm, I'm going to say that's facts. Like, Anthony Davis is saying facts, but do you really got to say that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, that's a good point. I think people are assuming that this team would be able to do that. No, that's not going to happen. Last year's team with Caruso and, and KCP and Kuzma, we had shooting. We had defense, most importantly. And we were up. Chemistry. Chemistry. We were up. To, exactly. We were up 2-1 against the Suns. And Chris Paul, obviously, was a little hobbled. But injuries happen, and if AD didn't get hurt, you know, there's a, a good argument that they could have won. Yeah, I'm going to agree. And, you know, I'm going to take us to our next topic now. Patrick Beverly went on to JJ Reddick's podcast, and he had some things to say about how Russell Westbrook damaged his career. He said, quote, He damaged my career. Coaching staff, players, fans, they all looked at me way different. And the thing that he's talking about is basically... Westbrook says he's not that great of a defender, basically. All he's doing is just running around the court. What do you guys think of Patrick Beverly's comedy? Uh, <laughs> I love when <laughs> players like Pat Bev talk trash, but even though I'm not the biggest Westbrook fan, I think Pat Bev is not speaking facts here. Everyone know noticed Pat Bev's gameplay. We all know that He's a great player on defense, and we all saw what he did to Westbrook, which was on a play which was supposed to be a dead ball. He played overly aggressive D, and as a result, what happened to Westbrook's knee? Torn ACL. Torn ACL and was out, and that was a pivotal year within the Thunder organization. So Pat Bev, while you know Westbrook is struggling, perfect opportunity to hit somebody while they're down, right? <laughs> and not even hit them, like stomp on them. To be, to be, you know, quite frank, and it, it's it's pretty funny, you know, Pat Bev is not, he's not known to be a shy guy. And, and I really do hope that the Wolves and the Lakers, they play once again before the season, like in the, either in the postseason or the regular season. So I have a soft spot for Bev. Just because the, the years the Clippers were not down, they were still a playoff team, but when there was no star power, he kind of created the new image of, of the team for that three years, a, a very tough, gritty, tough, or hard team to play. 
And so for that, I always appreciate when he was on the squad because it just he just had that very like dog mentality, which he'll really say he does. I do think he's reaching here a bit. I think everyone already knows the kind of player he is based on how much he can't stop talking before, after, and during the game uh, to begin with. And obviously the play that Jay was referencing, I think anyone who watches basketball on a regular basis remembers that play and there's no way to justify it. <laughs> and if you really want to top it off, then there's him shoving Chris Paul down from behind uh, last year or uh, oh yeah, against the yeah against the Suns as well. So it's not like this is a one-off incident. He is who he is. Like I said, I, I have a soft spot for him, but it's the reputation was already late, man. One one tweet from Westbrook isn't gonna isn't gonna create the reputation for you. The eight years of play before that established it already. So it is what it is. Yeah, I agree completely with that, Sammy. I mean. To blame it on one comment from Westbrook and saying that damaged your career, it kind of reminds me of when, and it's not it's not the same comparison because I actually think this is a legitimate complaint when JaVale McGee complained about Shaq, putting him on Shaq being a fool constantly over and over and over again. I think that does have some weight to it because then, you know, scouts and agents and, and people are looking at him thinking, man, all this guy does is screw up and make boneheaded plays. I don't think he's, you know, is he really as good or is he a competent NBA player? But Patrick Beverly has been doing this his entire career, acting a fool on the court. And yes, he plays great defense, but he tries to play it off as if he doesn't yap constantly and get in people's faces and, and somewhat play dirty and make and flop and do these crazy moves on the court. I mean, it's been going on for years, Pat. This Let's be real here. And by the way, other than that, I want to give a shout out. I didn't know my man JJ Redick had a had a podcast. It's called The Old Man and the Three. I just looked it up right now. Yo, big ups. That's cool. Yeah, shout out. Um, Patrick Beverly. He he kind of reminds me of those guys that you go play pick a basketball like. Um, just like at a random park, and you're like, the I old don't, man. yeah, like I don't want to be guarded by that guy because he's not very good, but he's like weirdly physical for like no reason. I'm the party pooper, and that's the way that I view him. Russell Westbrook didn't do that to you. you right. Did that to you. Right. That's what I think. Anyway, we're gonna move on. We're gonna go to buy or sell topics. We have a few of them here. Here's the first one. The Dallas Mavericks are 9-2 in their last 11 games since trading Kristaps Porzingis for Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans. Do you guys buy or sell on this? I buy that they're playing better, but I sell that they're a serious playoff contender. I, I looked at who they've beaten. There's actually some pretty impressive teams in there. Uh, they, they went into Miami and won. They went into Boston and won. They beat the Warriors twice, so that is impressive. But then you look at their starting lineup, and it's Doncic, Brunson, Bullock, Finney Smith, and Powell. A bunch of solid players outside of Doncic, but let's say they beat the Jazz in round one, because that's going to be the matchup. You're beating Phoenix with that squad? I I don't see it. I think Phoenix is going to find a way to take Doncic out of the game to some level, as much as you can, and basically challenge Brunson and Bullock to beat you, and I just don't see it happening. So I'm impressed with how they've played. It's honestly better than I thought, but... 
I sell them as a serious playoff threat. I'll say bye because Luca needs the creative freedom on offense to do what he does, pass, shoot, and just be a basic, basically a threat there. And Porzingis kind of hindered that. So I'm going to say I'm buying the 9-2 record, their top five defense. And I think Luca have, could have the potential of making some damage in the playoffs. Not necessarily a title run, but I'm hoping for LeBron-esque Cavs 2008-2009. Yeah, I'm going to buy this. And I'm going to disagree with Sammy. And I'm going to buy on both fronts that they are playing much better with a 9-2 record. But they're also a serious playoff threat. And the reason I say that is because obviously they have Luka Doncic, who is a star, and he can take over games by himself. But other than that... They got rid of Porzingis, who was really not a seven three foot seven foot three center. He didn't play defense. He couldn't protect the paint. And now they have Dinwiddie, and I know he's not really known as a defender, but they can switch everything. They can play smaller. They can use their other mobile bigs who actually play defense. And the Mavericks are the number six defensive rated team currently. And Jason Kidd has them playing the best defense they probably ever had with Doncic on the team. So. I think they're a lot different this year than they haven't been in previous years. And for that reason, I think I'm going to I'm gonna go ahead and buy them as a serious playoff contender. I like, I like what they're doing. I like the chemistry. But I think I got to sell, man. I'm selling on this. I don't think it's enough of a big, like a big enough sample for me. I like the, like what they have going, but I'm not completely sold yet. I don't, and I don't exactly know why. But anyway, the next one is... Bill Simmons has John Morant as a top 10 player, but Trey Young doesn't crack his top 20. What? What do you guys think about that? I'm going to say, I'm going to sell on this. Trey Young is not in your top 20. I feel like on the top of my head, and I don't even have, I don't have a list in front of me, but I feel like on the, on the top of my head, I could, it's hard to name 19 players better than Trey Young. I, I know there's a lot of good players, but Trey Young, First of all, he has his own signature signature shoe. Come on, that's got to mean something, right? And he's just... I know the Hawks aren't playing well. They're, they have had a really down year, but he's still like a premier player. I know he's field goal percentage. He's a volume shooter, but he still does a lot for that team. He if, if he wasn't playing, the Hawks would be absolutely terrible. You can't convince me otherwise. They would probably be a top three worst team in the league. So I'm selling what Bill Simmons is shoving down people's throats <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to buy one the Hawks' record is not good but I'll quickly go down the list so you have Giannis Jokic and Curry for top three going down you have Embiid LeBron Durant Kawhi Luka Chris Paul going further Deep Book Bradley Beal, Butler, PG, John Morant, DeRozan, Dame, hmm, Tatum, James Harden, Donovan Mitchell, and Zach Levine and Jalen Brown. So can you argue that Trey Young is better than the 22 that I've listed? I wouldn't put Jalen Brown 
or DeRozan over Trey Young. And I think there's a few others I wouldn't put above him either. I can't remember, but I forgot to include Kyrie and AD as well. So Sammy, go ahead. I'm I'm gonna buy this also. Uh, but my main logic and I don't have the advanced stats in front of me to back this up, but I feel like Trey Young is as close to a designated hitter in the NBA as it gets. Just personal thought on this. I don't think he plays any sort of defense at all. And I know a lot of current offensive superstars in the league don't either. But he seems to lead the forefront on that for me, and that, that one's hard for me to look past. I respect his scoring talent, but I just I can't put him above the 20s. I'd probably have him around 25, personally, give or take, somewhere in that area. I'm, I'm selling on this one. And the reason being is because you think Bill Simmons is a little biased? <laughs> Jalen Brown? Come on now. I mean, he's, I, he's alongside Jason Tatum. You and John like his haircut. That's why. Don't, <laughs> don't front on that. No, okay. Okay. All right. Here's, another, here's also another argument for You guys have to remember that he took the Hawks to the Eastern Conference Finals. And I know that team was solid. They were good. But he is... That was in his, what, second or third, maybe third year in the league? That is quite the accomplishment. And I know that they're not doing as well this year, but to do that in your first three years, I mean, that probably hasn't been done with a lot of players coming out of college that early. That's true. Yeah. I agree. The next one. Spurs coach Greg Popovich gets his... 1,336 win to break Don Nelson's all-time NBA record. You guys think he's a top five coach of all time? Without question to me. I don't think this is even an argument. I think he's in the argument for top two. Uh, and I know the counter-argument from people who want to question this as well. He didn't do anything without Duncan or Ginobili or Parker. But you could go down the list of any great coach in any sport. Phil... Bill Belichick, if you want to go to football, anybody. They're not going to do the kind of winning and the kind of success they're going to have without those players. And I think Pop just found as good a way with his particular big run of Parker, Duncan, and Ginobili to create a system that worked and managed to kind of tailor it on the fly. Because when they started, there were a lot more... It was Robinson and Duncan, if I remember correctly, for two years. A lot more pounding down in the block, two-point base game. And by the time they won that last title against Miami, they were spaced out, playing beautiful basketball. Ball barely hit the floor, and they were firing threes left and right. So his adaptability, based on the talent that he had around him, I think was almost as good as it gets. So I'm definitely buying on this. I'm definitely buying for one simple fact that the Spurs have made it to the postseason over 20 times. That's almost three times the average NBA's career. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, they also made 22 consecutive playoff appearances in, from to, uh, up to 2019. So... And that's all, I think that was all under, pretty sure that was all under Greg Popovich. So to do that, to accomplish that with different rosters, obviously there, a lot of it was with their core, with Tony Parker, Tim Duncan, Ginobili, and, so, and then even Kawhi for a little bit. So even though he had the players, you have to make it all come together. And he was just known for a coach who was no nonsense. He was 
always about the game and respecting the game and playing it the right way and playing defense and playing with hustle and heart. And his team showed it, regardless of who the talent level. And you have to always respect that. And you have to give him top five status because of his post-game or his in-game conference interviews. Come on. Those were legendary. With, uh, <laughs> with Craig Sager, too. Let, let me just... Peace. Let me just name drop the players that he's coached because everyone wants to say the big three, but he coached David Robinson to the big three, to Kawhi, to DeRozan, and now DeJounte, DeJounte Murray, which is pretty crazy. And in addition what the players you're talking about, if you look at all of those guys, they drafted all of them. This was not a free agent yeah, destination, yeah. and it was well known that Pop had a big hand in who they signed, who they drafted. I mean, that Kawhi, even Kawhi was a trade for George Hill as a draft pick. So that's all homegrown talent, man. You, that's that's even another layer that most major coaches don't have to deal with. Also, if you're looking around the league and you want to see the influence of Pop, I mean, Budenholzer, Quinn Snyder, Taylor Jenkins, um, Ime Odoka, Steve Kerr, Monty Williams... I mean, the list goes on. So if you want to see the Spurs, you got to look at other teams too. I mean, his stamp on the NBA, it, it is huge. Absolutely huge. So mad props to, to Greg Pop, man. The next topic, Caruso returns from a 22-game absence. Upon his return, the Bulls held the Cavs to under 91 points. The last time they did this, it was when Caruso played 22 games ago by herself. Why you guys got to do this to me, man? <laughs> this, is, uh, this one hits hits home hard just because of how bad the Lakers are playing and how good he looks on the Bulls. I'm definitely buying this. It's not a coincidence that the Bulls are holding uh, an electric scoring team, a team that is doing, that plays really well together and can put up points in the Cavs. They held him to under 91 points, the game that he comes back. It's not a coincidence. Caruso is, he was known with the Lakers as one of the best defenders on the team. And one of, and then he's grown to be one of the best defenders in the league. He just gets after it. He, he's a smart, intelligent IQ player. And he knows how to stay in front of his man, which is key, especially with the guards. And to, to stop that penetration, which is, you know, helps the defense overall. So, yeah, I'm 100% buying this. I'm buying this too. Caruso's a glue guy, and on this pod, the clinic, we've always appreciated the glue guys on our teams. And Caruso's that. He plays up tempo within the flow of the offense and plays great defense. And what can you ask more, right? He's that dude, the glue guy. Yes, sir. I'll buy it as well, but in addition to the comments you both made, I think the other part of it is when you get a guy like this back, it allows you to slot the rest of your roster accordingly. So it creates better matchups across the board because he does function a bit as a, almost like a chess piece in the backcourt and you can move other players around him. So Levine, whose defense is so-so, though it's getting better, can be put into a matchup that's better for him. You can do the same thing with DeRozan and Javante Green. And I think uh, he helps tie all that together and we'll really see the extent of that when Lonzo comes back, which I'm not sure when that is, but then we'll see them really hit their peak defensive efficiency. Yeah, I'm also buying this. I mean, that's what the bald mamba does, right? 
put the clamps down. Yes, sir. Anyway, that is all we have for tonight's pod. I want to thank you three for being on. JJ, thanks for being on, man. Hey, shout out to my man with the razor's edge, Razor Ramon. John, thanks for being on, man. Yes, sir. Rest in peace. And shout out to Sammy for editing this episode. Love you, buddy. <laughs> Sammy, <laughs> thanks for being on, man, and editing. Thank you kindly for the clean episode. And uh, I'll, I'll agree and echo JJ sentiments. Shout out to the bad guy who I grew up with as a teenager in my young WWF days in the mid-90s there. <laughs> Go ahead and uh, talk about diagnosing the lines. Uh, so we, uh, we just... Uh, put up a new clip on Twitter here a couple days ago talking about the MVP race that we discussed tonight. Based on tonight's episode, if, if you guys listened, you obviously know that I lean toward Jokic with that pick. And so what we're also doing now is you'll see some picks from us on Twitter a couple times a week, just talking about some same game parlays that DraftKings dropped. We did a couple last week involving Evan Mobley, and we'll, uh, we'll keep plugging those in going forward. So check those out. And shout out to our video producer, RJ check out our YouTube channel. Remember to rate, subscribe, and review. Like us on our Facebook group page, The Clinic All-NBA Podcast, and follow us on Twitter at Clinic All-NBA. I'm Rosa Panta. This is The Clinic All-NBA Podcast. Come find us wherever you get your podcasts.